This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VinSmart. Learn more about how we can help you with fleet recall management and maintenance updates, as well as capture vehicle history and VIN data. Give VinSmart a call at 1-888-950-9550 or visit us on the web at vinsmart.com slash businesses. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Well, hello, and welcome back to the AnvaCast, everyone. This week, I am pleased to welcome the executive director of the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety, Dr. David Yang. David, welcome to your first appearance on the AnvaCast. Thank you for having me. It's a great honor to be invited to share some of my thoughts about traffic safety issue. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe that you've already been with uh, the Foundation for Traffic Safety um, for almost five years now. That's correct. Yeah, I became the executive uh, director in October 2016. Time definitely goes by really fast. Absolutely. Now, of course, AAA is a, a household name. Everyone knows AAA in some form or manner. Um, but folks might be less familiar with the Foundation for Traffic Safety that is part of the greater family of AAA, but really is a, a separate standalone entity in the way it operates and the purpose that it serves. Can, can you explain that a little bit for those who aren't familiar with the Foundation for Traffic Safety, how that works? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think yeah, the way you, you phrase it is really perfect in a sense is that the uh, AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety is part of the AAA family. How it different is that uh, basically, uh, unlike uh, the American Automobile Association or AAA was uh, established in the early 1900s, AAA Foundation was not established until 1947. And we are actually, in fact, will be celebrating our 75th anniversary next year. And the story, my understanding is that this is back in the 1940, when there's more and more people that are owning automobile. Um, there's actually people who got injured, who died from uh, automobile accident. So back in the, the 1940s, there was a gentleman in, in one of the AAA club in New York and said, you know, we need to do something about it. Um, and so this uh, gentleman donated $50,000 and establish a nonprofit organization. Basically, is what we know today as AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety. And really, its mission is to do research and education to help to prevent traffic injury and fatality, and then hopefully improve uh, traffic safety. That's a purpose. And uh, we have a lot of support. Uh, we receive a lot of financial contribution from AAA Club as well as the Canadian Automobile Association individual donor. So that enables us to do traffic safety research. So we are related to AAA, but we have a very clear mission to conduct traffic safety research. So let's talk a little bit about that research, because when I look at the research priorities, it's a lot of overlap with the work that our members are doing. Of course, we're not in the research field, but certainly uh, when you look at driver behavior, driver performance, emerging technologies, roadway systems and drivers, certainly the drivers, and then understanding how it all interacts with the vulnerable route users. I, I think I've done my research and got your research priorities correct there, but I'm hoping that maybe you could tell us what those words mean for the foundation, the types of research that you're doing in those spaces. 
Definitely. I think, you know, the way I, I look at AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety is we are part of that community, just like uh, ENVA and other organizations. We are here to do work that can really help and educate the general public regarding traffic safety issue. Because as we know, on average basis, even in, during the past several years, we have over 36,000 people die on the U.S. railway. And, and so we are definitely, you know, to me, we want to not so much duplicate, but we really, I think our research work want to complement other people, other research organizations work. So our research uh, focus area, the first one is what we call emerging technology, as you have mentioned, Yen. This area is really kind of looking into the future in terms of basically some of the vehicle technology that's being introduced in the vehicle all the way to a different level of uh, vehicle automation. And what does that mean in terms of the consumers and users' understanding, users' acceptance, and how does that translate into safety benefits? So I think, I think one of the perfect examples we are studying is, uh, you know, that tragic crashes occur in Houston, Texas, about two people in a Tesla vehicle that die. And according to preliminary crash investigation, indicates that neither of those people that's in the vehicle that was killed was in the driver's seat. Now, we all know that Tesla is not a fully autonomous vehicle or a self-driving vehicle. However, there seems to be a misunderstanding regarding, uh, you know, what the vehicle can do, uh, the capability and limitation between the two people in the vehicle and what can that vehicle deliver. And I think as a result, that that misunderstanding translates into potentially misuse and, and this kind of tragic event occur. So I think we, we want to continue to look into that space to advocate for the consumer and the user working with other stakeholders to make sure that all the design and all the information being used is proper so that, you know, when people are getting to a vehicle that's equipped with the advanced driving assistance system, they understand exactly what's the intended function, what's the limitation. So that's that first area. The second area, driver behavior and performance, we're kind of really just looking to several sub-areas. One is uh, distracted driving, which is on the National Traffic Safety Board's top 10 most wanted list for multiple years. And this is continuing to be an issue, and we are looking into that issue as well. In addition to distracted driving, we are also looking to drowsy driving as well as impaired driving, you know, in terms of drug-impaired driving. How does different type of drugs like marijuana and opioid impact driver behavior and performance. But also another area is what we call traffic safety culture. In the past 10 plus year, we've been producing a uh, annual report measuring people's what their concern is in terms of traffic safety versus what they actually do. And there's a discrepancy. And that's something we want to make sure that we continue to study, continue to track. So that's our second area. The third area is what we call vulnerable road user, looking into that interaction not only between the driver and other road users like, uh, like pedestrians and, and cyclists, but also vulnerable road user in terms of older driver and teen driver. And the reason is that we all know, based on statistics, that older driver and teen driver are two what we consider group that has a high probability 
of getting to vehicle crashes. And our last area is looking into that relationship, what we call railway system and driver. And our latest work in that area is looking to the impact of speed on driver. So we try to, you know, basically continue to carry out our mission and try to make sure that our work here can fill the gap, fill the research need that may not be addressed by some of our other stakeholders. Yeah. So let's let's pick up where you where you left off there with the example of speed. We've known for years the dangers, the challenge of speeding, speeding, you know, driving too fast for conditions, let alone over the legal speed limit. We're seeing disturbing trends just in this past year during the pandemic where speed is more of a challenge than it's ever been. We hear from our law enforcement members at AMVA that the number of citations they're writing for three-digit speed incidents is unlike what they've seen in previous years. So explain to my listeners how your research about speed may then become a tool for them to be able to combat and have countermeasures for this disturbing trend of increased speeding. Yeah, you know, this goes back actually to several years ago. This concern relating to speed was brought up by several of the AAA clubs that's in different states. And the reason these AAA clubs brought up this issue to me was they continue to see in their own states that the posted speed limit that's posted on highway, freeway, and just regular roadway continue to go up. And they have concern with that, but they don't have any resource or any data to kind of show the decision maker, the local transportation authority, why that may or may not be a good idea to continue to raise the posted speed limit. And that was really the motivation of our work. So our work during the past three years, our first work is we contacted all 50 states plus the District of Columbia. And we had conversation with a local traffic authority, basically the local department of transportation, and asking them what sort of analysis or tool they use to make that decision to make changes on the postage speed limit. And most, basically by majority, people are making these decisions based on the 85th percentile of a vehicle traveling through a given segment of roadway. And that has been taught by many people, and people think, well, that is the way we're going to continue to do it because we want to ensure traffic flows through a section of roadway. You know, when you think about that, there's really not a whole lot wrong with that. However, as you may know, in, in certain places, especially in large cities like Washington, D.C., New York, Los Angeles, is when you are walking in a typical downtown area, there's a mixture of people that's sharing the roadway. In addition to cars, there's pedestrians, there's bicyclists, and we're all sharing the roadway. And so our second part of this work is what we're really trying to find out is when a vehicle have a slightly up traveling speed, what does that do to the driver inside the vehicle? And so on this second part of work, we partner up with the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety as well as Humanetic, which is a very large manufacturer of vehicle crash dummy. And we conducted three crash tests. And these three crash tests at a benchmark speed of 40 miles per hour. And then the second went up by 10 miles per hour at 50. And then the third one at 55.9 or 56 miles per hour. And what we have found is that when you have a slight increase in the traveling speed, and when that vehicle hits, 
uh, stationary object in our crash test, there's a big difference in terms of the harm that that will do to the driver inside the vehicle. And basically, you know, all the modern vehicles are designed to handle a normal traveling speed. But when you continue to go up the speed, we find that there's much higher likelihood of the driver getting severely injured and potentially die from those crashes. And we want to use these resources to share not only with the general public, but also provide that information to any stakeholder who has concern about that to share that and asking really just the uh, local transportation authority when they are making those decisions on the possibility of increase the posted speed limit, they may think twice and conduct additional analysis looking to the situation around a particular roadway. Because if going up by 10 miles per hour or 15 miles per hour can do a great harm to the driver, imagine when that car hit a pedestrian or a bicyclist. Sure. And we want to make sure we get that message out and so that's our second phase right now. We're going to continue to do more crash tests in the future with our partner. And really, the goal is that we want to bring not only awareness, but provide data, provide resources. So when any stakeholder is concerned and want to share those information, they have those information available and present it to the decision maker. It isn't though, you know, if you step back and think about it, that seems fairly obvious, right? I mean, the faster you go and you hit something, the more harm the impact is going to cause. So on one hand, it's fantastic that there's objective research. Uh, on the other hand, someone's got to step back and go, well, do we really need to do research to know if I hit something going 60 miles per hour, the result's going to be different than if I hit it going 40 miles per hour? I think that you are on the right track in terms of asking that question. You are absolutely right. You know, you think that would be a very logical thing is that the faster you go, it's going to cause more harm, you know, when you hit something or someone. However, I think what we have seen, and that's a trend uh, we have seen from our work with the Traffic Safety Culture Index, is when we interview people about issues like speeding, you know, people express concern that people who we surveyed has high disapproval of driver going more than 15 miles per hour on the freeway. However, when we ask the follow-up question is, have you done it during the past few weeks? And one-third of those respondents who expressed concern said, yeah, they done it. Sure. So, so there's always a gap between what people realize is important versus what they actually do. And I, I think to me is this is our continued effort to bring awareness and educate the public about the danger of these aggressive uh, driving behavior. So speed is one. Another one we talk about over and over again is uh, distracted driving. And that has been talked about in the United States. But yet, you know, I live in Northern Virginia and on a regular basis on the highway or on the regular railway, you see people just engaging in looking at their cell phone and doing things. You just kind of go, wow, you know that that's not good, not only for you as a driver, but for the other people that's sharing the roadway. And I think that's always a continued battle. And I think we need to continue to reinforce those messages, especially I think that would be very helpful as we are getting these information out to children as they are being exposed early about traffic safety issue, about the dangers of certain behavior. I think that would be very, very helpful. 
Have you done any research in that area in terms of the age where humans can start learning and acknowledging that? You know, I've it's been a while since I've looked at it, but I seem to remember some research done early on that we learn driving habits much earlier than we realize. Yeah. We have not actually done the research looking to this age issue. Several years ago, Triple A Foundation before my time, they had done the research looking to the teen driver behavior. And I think, I think you know, to me, the way I always look at this is, yes, you're absolutely right. Children learn about driving by observing what their parents do, what adults do. And if, as an adult, if uh, you are telling your children, you shouldn't be looking at your phone, you should be focusing on driving, and when the phone rings, you pick up the phone. I think that's really doing a disservice to your children. And I think, to me, there's actually a study that has shown um, that people, especially teens, practice good driving behavior when they are accompanied with adults versus fellow teenagers. I, I think, to me, you know, we need to use a multifaceted approach to tackle these traffic safety issues because it's not going to be one solution. I think to me is we're going back to not only engineering, but we also need to continue to do work related to enforcement as well as education. I think all these different type of approach need to continue to share that information with the public so people know about it and people can hopefully continue to be reminded that the dangers about aggressive driving behavior, about not following all the traffic laws. And is that a, is that part of the partnership with we'll call AAA the, the mothership in terms of that outreach where your organization is doing this research and um, putting that background together? Uh, does AAA then play a role in getting it out to the driver? Yeah, definitely. I think, again, that's a very wonderful partnership because I think as a researcher, Many times, I think the greatest gratification is when we finish the research, we see someone be able to use it to make a difference. And I think that partnership between after we conduct our research, we share these research with our AAA colleague at different clubs, as well as the AAA national office. And then they would take these information based on solid research we have done and use those information to do work related to education related to advocacy, related to just sharing that information through media so people are aware of them. And, and to me, that's a very successful grassroots approach because right now, currently, AAA has over 62 million members. Wow. And I think that's a large network of people to try to get the information out to them so they can understand some of these implications. I think... I think that to me is something I really cherish and I want to continue to have that partnership. Not only that, but also working with other stakeholders in the federal government, in the state government and in other organizations like yours. I think that's really the key is that we all have the same goal is to improve traffic safety, to continue to reduce traffic related injury and fatality on our roadway. And I think that by partnering and finding way to partner it's a great way to try to get our mission accomplished. You, you mentioned earlier how you know, we're seeing, trying to encourage these new strategies to 
reduce crashes, reduce fatalities. How have you been able to adjust your research approach or the types of things you're researching that really get to some of the the newer strategies? I know you have to balance that with some of the proven countermeasures or the proven challenges like speeding and impairment, you know, that continues to be a challenge and still needs further study. Yet at the same time, it seems like you have to be able to pivot and to adjust to new emerging areas, not just the emerging technology, but the other emerging areas of either new challenges or how to research and prove a new strategy um, that maybe hasn't been tried yet. So, so many of our work in is really focusing on understanding the causal factor, what happened and how did that happen? Because I think that's one thing is once you identify the causes for a certain issue, then basically the next step is finding the proper strategy or countermeasure that may work to address that cause. And I think we definitely continue to look for those balances. So we do research finding the cause, but we're also trying to look into what can we do to improve overall traffic safety. One example come to mind is in the past few months, we have released a guidebook, a report. And we call it guidebook because this is something we want to share with the general public, especially people that's in the traffic safety community, is about what we can do to address the continual increase of drug-impaired driving. So we had a contract work with the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute. And in that work, what we have done is we found two hospitals that can help us to collect samples so we can hopefully try to set up a sentinel surveillance system to understand better about all the causes related to drug-impaired driving. As we were rolling out there, unfortunately, the COVID pandemic happened. And as you know, that all the hospital need to focus on addressing and helping people who has the coronavirus. And so we need to repivot that work. And at the end, we only were able to collect enough sample not to carry out any conclusive statistical analysis. But we use those sample and the whole process, and we have created a guidebook. And this guidebook is available on our website. So hopefully people, you know, like NHTSA, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or any other entity who's thinking about creating a sentinel surveillance system to gather data on drug-impaired driving, they'll be able to see our experience and our recommendation based on our work. And I think that's one of the steps is kind of understanding the problem and then trying to find solution. And then obviously the next step is finding partner to work hand in hand, try to implement some of the countermeasure and so forth. So we continue to, to do that, not only finding the causes, but also hopefully at the end, finding proper countermeasure to test. And after we did that, and hopefully be able to find partner to implement those uh, countermeasures. Well, David, this has been a really great introduction to the foundation. Perhaps we'll set up some time to have you come back and talk maybe a little bit deeper about some of the specific studies. One area where you mentioned that we didn't even have time to talk about it was the Traffic Safety Culture Index, which I think for our members where we're dealing with the driving public on a regular basis um, is really a fascinating area. Maybe you can give us a, a quick tease of that and we could come back and revisit it on a future episode. Sure, yeah. Uh, so, so our work on traffic safety cultural index is basically we collect a national 
sample on the annual basis, understanding what people think on different traffic safety subjects, such as aggressive driving, such as drowsy driving, and so forth. And then what we're trying to measure is what's people, general public's attitude towards those traffic safety topics. And then we always, at the end of each of those questions, we ask the follow-up question is, well, um, you express your opinion on this question, but have you done it yourself? And I think that's a kind of reality check because always we continue to see this trend. People understand that uh, certain behavior when you're behind the wheel, it should not be encouraged and it's not safe, but people still do it anyway. And through those data collection, we can see the trend and we compare those to what's going on in terms of the overall traffic fatality statistic in our nation. And I think sometimes that can give us a better guidance on what to do in the future. Where can my listeners find some of this research? Will you tell them where your website is, where you house most of these reports? Yeah. So really the best way to do it is when you go on to any search engine, just uh, type in AAA Foundation, and then you should be able to find us. But our website address is aaafoundation.org. Well, David, thanks again. So much more we can talk about, and uh, no doubt we'll have you back to maybe unpack some of these uh, reports, traffic safety culture, and so many other topics that we work together and looking forward to maybe some more new and expanded collaboration between AMVA and the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety. Definitely. Thank you uh, again for having me today as a guest. Yeah. My pleasure. All of you out there, as always, thank you for listening. Thanks to our producer of today's episode, Ms. Chelsea Hadwin. And we'll see you all the next time on the AmbiCast. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for joining us for AmbiCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VinSmart. Visit us at ambicast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.